Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, October 11th, following Virginia Tech's heartbreaking loss to Notre Dame on Saturday in Lane Stadium. This is episode 198 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to go through the entire game between the Hokies and the Irish. Virginia Tech, an eight-point lead with four minutes to go, couldn't get it done. Game of a lot of what-ifs, and we're going to go through all of them on this episode of the podcast. All that and more on episode 198, which starts right now. We welcome you back to episode 198 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whether you're listening archived on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, we ask you to like, comment, and subscribe. If you are watching live on YouTube, drop a question or a comment for Will and Chris in the chat below, and we'll have Nick Brown get to those at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful wrestlers to one of the fastest growing and best wrestling programs in the country make sure you visit southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today we have our usual usual monday crew on set today our founder and general manager will stewart across the way to my left chris coleman the lead analyst and columnist at techsideline.com behind the scenes the best podcast producer in the land malcolm stewart and in our fourth chair today it is nick brown again he will have some stats for us in the middle of the show and get to your youtube questions and comments at the end and i am your host jake lyman as always well time to dive into the game guys uh obviously not a fun way to end it Hokies lose 32 29 to Notre Dame fall to three and two on the season lots of what ifs in that game it seemed like in the final four minutes if just one thing had gone the Hokies way they get out of there with the win or at least going to overtime but losing regulation on a last second field goal yeah, <laughs> yeah <I think. laughs> that sums it up Podcast there, there we go yeah. all right well I'm that getting, wraps I'm it up carpet installed in my basement today i'd rather go do that than talk about this game <laughs> um yeah uh, um well there, there was just stuff all through that game you know it's yeah. one of those what if games where you can drive yourself crazy well i mean that's how we've talked about how most of them are going to be yeah it's going to come true. down to turnovers random events little decisions here and there things like that i mean players that's how, making plays yes yeah, players making plays uh and, you know, I mean, there's several things I pointed to in my column yesterday. Um, like, how do I feel about the defensive performance? On the one hand, you feel good because you forced two turnovers. You got to pick six. Uh, you started off the game really strong. And Tech was able to get a 10 nothing lead because of that. On the other hand, Notre Dame came into this game averaging 2.4 yards per carry as a team. And I think they averaged 4.2 yep. against the Hokies. They were able to get a running game going. Notre Dame had allowed 
22 sacks and 39 tackles for loss on the year coming into the game. And, and, res- and respectively, that's like 4.4 sacks a game and like 9.5 TFLs a right, game right. that we're giving wor- Some of the worst marks in the entire country. Right. Yep. And Tech only got two sacks, and those were their only two tackles for loss for the entire game. And so I believe I, those happened on the first drive of the game. Well, they, uh, one of them was early. later. As I detailed, the second sack is with 12 and a, two and a half to go in the first quarter. So they went 47 and a half minutes without okay. any sort of, Anything in the any sort of TFL. Right, so yeah. – I would say that the Notre Dame offense was able to operate a little more functionally than than they had been in their previous games. Uh, So I I was disappointed that Tech did not wreck a little more havoc in the backfield because that's what everybody else has been able to do against Notre Dame this year. So I'm disappointed from that standpoint. On the other hand, the defense did score a touchdown, and, and they set Tech up with another one. It's a... One of the turning points, I thought, was when Shamari Connor dropped that interception. You mean Armani Chapman? Armani Chapman, Chapman I'm sorry, yeah. yes. Uh, he dropped that interception around the 40 or 45-yard line. 39-yard line. Right, and then Tech immediately threw an interception right after Like that. three plays like later. Like three plays later. So instead of Tech having the ball in the Notre Dame 39, Notre Dame's got it on the Tech 29. Right, yeah. right. And then Notre Dame went boom, 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 four running plays, touchdown. Right, yeah. and uh, Chapman had some running room too, didn't he? Well, he was on his He's, knees. Oh, was he on his knees? Yeah, okay. so okay. he would have yeah. been called down it, there. At any still, rate. At yeah. any rate, I mean. And it was 16-14 at that point in time. Right. Yes, yes. right. So that was a big turnover. Yeah, it was a big turnover. <sighs> Offensively, I mean, <laughs> you know, all right, just for the, I will clarify this. You know, the offense scored, what, 23 points in the game themselves? Yes. And had 320-some yards of total offense. That's about what I expected them to do against the Notre Dame defense that has been strong. I mean, yeah, well, I, you, you and I, I picked Tech to score 20, 20, 20 points, and, and right. that's where a lot of people were, were on. Uh, and, oh, by the way, you don't usually count on John Parker Romo making a 52-yard field goal. Correct, right. right. So, so, you know, you're kind of, we're kind of both on with that. Right, I, 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 to the Tech offense did about what I thought they would do, and I thought that would be enough to win the game. So – I'm very disappointed in Tech's defense from that standpoint, but I think there's other things Tech could have done offensively to put themselves in a position to maybe score another touchdown, such right. as playing your best running back. More. More. <laughs> I mean, Raheem Blackshear, he was breaking tackles in the running game, breaking tackles in the passing game. Uh, you know, that, that field goal drive to start the third quarter where Tech went, God, they kept the ball for, what, six or seven minutes and, and kicked a field goal to, to retake the lead. And he had, I think, 43 of Tech's 61 yards on that drive. Yeah. And then he didn't have a carry the rest of the game. And I think he had one catch the rest of the game. And I, and I think he had one target in the fourth quarter that was incomplete. Right. But, like, he was clearly, like, Virginia Tech's best running back in that game and probably their best playmaker overall. And then he just didn't get the ball. So unless there was some sort of injury that I don't know about, they haven't talked about like I don't understand that at all I, I and we sat here I sat here on this podcast and they're in the bye week and said listen one of the things they needed to do is drop this from a three-man running back rotation to a two-man running back rotation because there's not one thing that uh Kashawn King can do that Raheem Blackshear can't do a lot better and instead they made it a four and instead man. they made it a four-man yeah. rotation. and added in a true freshman and added in Malachi minutes. Thomas and I talked about Malachi Thomas in the Friday Q&A about how they had, they had a decision to make. Uh, he had played in four games, which means he still could have redshirted. And if you don't redshirt a running back, you kind of you have to get him carries to justify burning his redshirt, right? Right. So I, they've created a mess with that running back rotation. And I, th- I think King had four carries. 
Thomas had three. Raheem Blackshear was playing a good game. What if he had gotten those seven carries himself? I thought he looked uh, he looked like a complete back right. on Saturday. Sure. He, he looked like click, there it was, it was going. You right. know, that touchdown run was phenomenal. The blocking was phenomenal, first right. of all. You know, and the patience to bounce off the line and then find the hole. And, God, and then, he, of course, the stuff he does in the passing. He, he had a spin move out there on the flat at yeah. one point. Uh, so, yeah, and then like, I would be – I think he has a right to be the angriest person leaving Lane Stadium on Saturday night. That's my take. Uh, you know, you can go into some other things like uh, – you know, going for a two-point conversion from the eight-yard line and things like that. But th- those are my my main takeaways. All right, so tag up, and I'll take it from here. Okay. Um, so you talked about turning points of the game. Um, when Tech had a 7 nothing lead, and you talked about that long drive uh, that, that spanned from the first quarter to the second quarter, they get down there, they got first and goal at the one, and they're about to go up 14 nothing, And um, it's – it's as, as, I, as I will – published in my column later today i've actually already written it um you guys know from listening to me talk recently that i'm i'm not a big fan of all the sideways movement um i get that it's an offensive philosophy but i've started to think a lot lately what does it do to the players to not be attacking so you get in that position first and goal from the one you go into the shotgun you hand it off now i did like that they hurried up Mm. that that was right that was after the trey turner pass it was not a run the one where where burmeister catches yeah. it and just kind of flips it yeah. and turner goes running by him and made a really good effort and got it down to the one then they rushed up to the line handed off it gets stuffed because they just left the left side open and linebackers came in and made the tackle and then on second down they bring in blumrick and they roll him out to the right yeah that's tricky from the standpoint he hadn't thrown a pass <laughs> all all year but if you watch notre dame was parked on it their entire team was over on that half of the field guarding the three tech receivers that were there. So Blumrick's got to throw it out of bounds. Again, my point is you're running sideways one, one yard away from the goal line. And then on third down, they throw a fade route. And I'm just like, man, just stop screwing around, okay? Bring in Blumrick, put him under center, and four straight times up the middle. And if you can't score from the one, then just tip your hat and play defense. <laughs> you know, Make like, him drive 99. <laughs> like you remember when uh, uh, Tech stopped Pittsburgh uh, in uh, 2018? 17? Yeah, 2017. Yeah, 2017 when they stopped him at the goal line at the end. And my memory is Pitt just basically running up the middle four times. One was a fade. Yes, because um, Stroman, uh, broke Stroman it up. barely recovered. Stroman broke it up against like that 6-5 receiver. Right. Yeah. Stroman went in running over there right for the play. But for the most part, Pitt just tried to run it right up the middle. And, you know, get off my lawn. I know that's old man talk. Like, let's play power football. But come on, let's play power football. Well, you would have liked to see it at least once. Just right. go under center, try and force it into the end zone. They got a little too cute at times. So we all love if, if, if you run like a little pop pass or something like that. We've seen touchdown passes to James Mitchell in that situation. And, and you look like you're going to run and you pop up and do that. I'm kind of beyond all that stuff. And I'm really starting to think about the psychology of always going sideways and trying to finesse people mm-hmm. when you're in a situation. Now, later on, they did. They had a third and one, I think. Uh, like went under center. Right, right, right around midfield. They went under center. Boom, picked it up. I just. Well, Blackshear's touchdown was basically an inside run. He bounced it out. Yeah. But but it was basically an inside Yeah, so anyway, that, that's my rant. But anyway, that was a big turning point in the game because um, it was actually a double turning point because Tech only went up 10 nothing, and then Brian Kelly said, I'm through messing around with Jack Cohn. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Buckner. Through messing around with Jack Cohn until I'm not. 
right? Until he right. comes back and, in. And, and then <laughs> freaking Buckner, who the book says right here is a terrible passer, proceeds to just drop a dime. He, he had, <laughs> he had uh, attempted six career passes before that. He was 0 of 2 with an interception against Cincinnati. Right? And he threw the perfect, <laughs> perfect pass, pass to get Notre Dame down to the four-yard <laughs> line, you know, and, and – he was a disaster in the third quarter, but boy, he made some nice plays in the second quarter. It was interesting for the majority of that game. Virginia Tech's quarter starting quarterback was from San Diego, California. And Notre Dame's quarterback was from San Diego, California, playing <laughs> East Coast football. Yeah, so I, I was I was impressed with Buckner as a runner, but whoo, as a passer, he well, has, he's he's how a true freshman should be as a passer. To be I, I don't know about that. It was pretty <laughs> terrible. Uh, he he now has three interceptions and twenty pass attempts, and it should be four. In his, in, his, in his career, yeah. or this year, which is his career. Yeah. So, Well, I want to talk about one of those interceptions. I promise we're going to talk about positives for good this stuff. game yes, later on. Yes, there is on, good stuff in this game. we're going to start with negatives. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start with where I felt the, deci- the one decision that I felt cost Virginia Tech the game. Jermaine Waller pick six, makes it 22-21 Virginia Tech. You go for two, which I think is the right move from the three-yard line. Right. You go for two to try and make it a three-point game, but then there's a false start. From the eight with a quarterback who we have learned not a great passer of the football, you still go for two, mm-hmm. don't get it, and then you're tied 29-29 later on in the game. Right. I thought that might have been the one that cost the Hokies the game. I mean, I think, all right, so it's it's one play from the eight-yard line. It's basically fourth and eight. Yes. It's a fourth right. and eight play. And uh, I remember before the season started and Shelton Moss ran those stats for us about third and long and the percentages of chances you make from like you make it running or passing from like third and five third and six third and seven third and eight and i remember running those stats and the percentages of picking up third down are generally below 50 percent no matter what but they're actually uh you have a better chance of or as good a chance running the football for a first down on third and long than you do passing it. Because defenses are set up to defend the pass. It sounds wrong, but it's true. But it's true. It's statistically that bears it out. And so we tried, Tech tried to pass it. And I'm not saying they should, they should have just run it there. But, uh, you know, a draw will actually probably would have been more likely to work than a pass, statistically speaking. The, the stats. I don't know who's out. running the draw. <laughs> well, Blackshear? Well, <laughs> I'm talking about quarterback okay, draw. Right. Right. Quarterback um, draw. So, well, we saw it. It wasn't a draw, but on third and 15 or whatever, when when Burmeister ran it in for a touchdown late in the game, it's it's there's there's more space because the defense is is back defending the pass. Yeah. Um. And at any rate, they should have kicked the extra point. Though, yes. At that point. But I don't think that cost them the game. They would have been up 30 to 29 and. Uh, well, thirty to twenty-eight because Notre Dame probably wouldn't have gone for two in that right. situation. But in the, in the end, Notre Dame wins thirty-one thirty by kicking the field goal. If, if all the play if play calling changes stays the same, yeah. then who who knows? Yeah. Right. We would assume uh, the Hokies are running the football. You're assuming they're going to run it. the football at this point, you know, to to try to run the clock out. Yes. You know, who knows what running back they would have handed it to? <laughs> <laughs> but. Well, it was almost more of a disaster because they almost returned the two-point conversion back the other way, which right. would have given Notre Dame the lead well, back. Fuente had some interesting comments this morning about that. <laughs> and I've, I've not been in front of a computer hardly at all today or yesterday, to be honest with you. So, But this morning he said something like he regrets going for the two-point conversion. Basically, he said it was an emotionally charged decision. Well, I forget the So hang, hang on, I'll get you the exact quote. Okay. I believe you, he said you, it was pride and pissed offishness. Pissed I believe, were his, his exact words. words. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and you know people uh always want more emotions from their coaches and from Fuente in particular. All right, here you go. Here's the okay. exact quote. Uh, and this is from David Cunningham's Twitter feed. Follow David if you're not already following David. Uh, Hokies head coach Justin Fuente on going for two points against Notre Dame. Quote, my pride and piss-offishness got in the way of the team there and I hurt the team. Said in hindsight, Tech shouldn't have gone for two after the false start. You know, um, he said – He's always said that he was a very emotional. He's he's a very emotional guy by nature, and he was that way playing quarterback. But he thinks you can't be that way as a head coach because if you if you've got your emotions on wearing your emotions on your sleeve all the time, you're going to make emotional based decisions in the game rather than rational decisions. And most of the time, emotion based decisions in sports are bad decisions. So he made an emotional based decision here instead of a rational one, and it cost him. So. When you don't see much emotion out of him on the sideline, he generally makes him a better decision maker. Uh, but yeah, you just—it's just—it's—it's it's a tough, it's a tough line to walk sometimes as a head coach. Yeah, and for those of you that say he never—don't use the words always and never—they're right. they're very strong words because don't, that's never don't true. Use them. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's never always true. <laughs> but for those of you that say that he never says something was a mistake and he never takes responsibility for stuff. There it is. Yeah. He didn't point the finger at anybody else, you know. And um, so, but I do think there's something to be said for playing the game by feel sometimes, which is different than emotion. Correct. You know, Although, it's, well, it's, it's tricky. It, is, it can be tricky, but the feel right there was you're trusting Connor Blumrick, who, who. That's just, he knows it. That's yeah, just not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, you shouldn't do that. And it does change the course of a game. You're right. It changes play calling and decision making. Yeah, potentially yes. it does, yeah. Well, there were two decisions that I think a lot of fans were questioning Justin Fuente for. That was one of them. The other one came on that final offensive drive, fourth and one on your own 30-yard line. I've got my thoughts. I want to see what you guys think. Should he have gone for it there or should he have punted away as he did? This is when it was 29-29? 29-29, I believe, a minute and a half left, somewhere around there. <laughs> Uh, it seemed like Tech was having a little trouble stopping Notre Dame at that point, but at the same time, Cone was back in the game, and you would stop Cone a lot early in the game, right? Yeah, it's like in uh, retrospect, they scored two touchdowns in the last four minutes, but at that point, it was just one drive, and you're like, well, maybe that was and, just and, and we completely shut them down that whole first quarter when yeah. Cone was in the game, yeah. right? So we'll take our chances with, with Cone. Um, and I... Uh, if, if you don't – again, what running back's in the game? Uh, Who are you going to hand it off to? Sure. All right, so because Jalen Cohn – not Jalen Cohn. Jalen <laughs> – Jack Cohn, Jalen Holston, just right. getting me all mixed up. Jalen Holston ha is your big back. Yes, you would normally hand it to your big back on a fourth and one, right? He finished the game with minus one rushing yard. Uh, Kashawn King averaged two yards per carry. Malachi Thomas had three carries for four yards. Right. So your running game had not been working. Uh, your your short yardage rushing quarterback is out of the game at this point with an injury. Your starting quarterback can't raise his arm. Um. So if you go for it, it has to be Blackshear. Um, but at that point, for whatever reason, like he had stopped getting carries in the game, which – Maybe he was hurt, but if he's still in the game and you're throwing it to him, then he's healthy enough to carry it, right? So there's a lot of question marks there. Um, now, the, the running game without Blackshear had struggled so much that 
Are you confident Tech converts a fourth and one there? No. no. I'll, I'll answer the question directly. No, you don't go for it in that situation. You're you're just because if you don't get it, you've just lost. You just the game. you just lost it. Right? Yeah. Um, because they've they've got a good field goal kicker. He proved it. He didn't care. He just goes out there and makes a forty eight yarder to win it. You know. He says that's very nice, John Parker Romo. You've gone three for three. You've had a great night. Here's how it's done. You know. And well, especially loud in there. I believe he stood out there for a minute and a half before yeah, he actually got to kick it. Did, so. did, did you guys get to watch the uh, the ACC Network film on that? Because what was going on was. Uh, uh, Kelly was fussing that there's a laser in yeah. his stands. I and saw it. <laughs> now, they actually showed a guy, a Virginia Tech fan, standing up there with a blinking light. I don't think it was a laser. I think he just had a blinking light on his phone. That's what people were looking at. But, 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 and he I, was there all game. He was doing that the whole night. I mean, that was in the second quarter, in the third quarter. I saw it in the first half. I saw it. He was doing it at halftime. When where the where was, was he there. positioned? Right. If you're looking at the press box. Just at so the, like right underneath it, right? Right underneath the press box on the right side. Really? So, so he's on the side. So the kicker couldn't even see it. I know. I know. So, But that just happened to be what the TV camera was showing at that point in time. I don't know if that's what Kelly was actually fussing about. But he almost iced his kicker, yeah. And well, it's, you know, it's uh, – we talk about some things coming down to random events. And I think there's some things Tech could have done in this game that – you know, would have prevented those things from mattering, such as giving the ball to Blackshear more, doing better defensively against an offense that struggled. But at the same time, you know, they made a 48-yard field goal to win the game. Look what happened to UVA two weeks in a row. The other team misses a field yeah. goal, and UVA wins the game. The Liberty they, kicker made a whatever yardage field goal right, was, you know. Right, and, and, then he mi- and then he missed one against Syracuse. It's time for right. those teams to start missing those field goals. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe he made it. Kicking towards the north end zone, every single student had their phone flashlight on, all that. It was loud. I couldn't believe he made it. But you know, hats I, I knew he was going to make it. There's, all right, there's this Notre Dame family in front of me and it's some Virginia Tech people behind me. And uh, the people behind me uh, watch the podcast, so they might be watching this right now. But uh, one of them said, was like, after Notre Dame tied it, he was like, oh, that's it, ball game, we're going to lose. And the little Notre Dame kid in front of me, probably seven or eight years old, turned around and said, it's tied. Why are you so worried? And I said, kid, let me tell you the story of Virginia Tech football and big games, big home night games. But yeah, so I told him about Matt Ryan, you know, told him about Boise State, things like that. And I'm like, just wait, you'll see. Sit there, youngin. <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk about making plays and not making plays. Armani Chapman drops his interception. And three plays later, the Notre Dame guy makes a, a, a diving interception. A diving, much more difficult catch. And late, it, late in the game, Notre Dame. Who, who's the who's the guy who ran across the back of the end zone to catch the two point conversion and leaped all the way up and brought it down. And, Great catch. And Burmeister throws not a perfect pass, but a good pass to Trey Turner. And by the way, uh, all, all the Brad Cornelson bashing that occurs, that play call was brilliant the the hitch and go it was there it was i mean you're right it was perfectly executed except for the catch well the the pass could have been this much closer to trey but trey didn't exactly when your nickname is big play trey you gotta get up and make that play man you have to do it yeah i mean you're a four-star recruit you have aspirations of playing in the nfl make the play you have to make that catch and and if he makes that catch he might be gone yes He had about three-yard separation. Yeah. He, well, he definitely had separation. It depends upon how much he lays out for it. Does he completely lay out? Or and does go he, down, or does he stumble and stay up? Right. 
Well, I was talking to Nick about this before we started recording. Virginia Tech's 3-2 and two right now, but you look at the West Virginia game, they just didn't have a player who stepped up and made a play in the red zone at the end. Same thing in, with Notre Dame. Nobody stepped up. Notre Dame had a guy step up on the two-point conversion and just make a spectacular play. Yeah. That's the difference between being 3-2 and two and possibly 5-0 and oh with wins over North Carolina, West Virginia, and Notre Dame. Tech had two guys to make plays when down in the scoring area during this game. And Blackshear, obviously, on the, on the first touchdown, made a play. And then... Burmeister. And, and then Burmeister on third and 15. Hmm. Um, but, you know, there wasn't enough – there wasn't enough for of, of Raheem Blackshear. And I, I'm going to go back to that point. I mean, it's – it's all the evidence is, is in at this point. He's by far Virginia Tech's best running back. I don't see how anybody can possibly disagree with that. Yeah. And it needs to be the old Billy Height rotation, man. Two series for the starter, one series for the number two guy. No series for anybody else. (laughs) No series for you. (laughs) None. (laughs) He needs to be the running back Nazi. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it feels like Raheem Blackshear is not – he's not Khalil Herbert, who who did have a nice day for the Chicago Bears yesterday. Oh, he did have a nice day, didn't he? Uh, That dude's good. uh, He may step up as the starter now. I mean, I I didn't understand why he didn't get any carries the first three weeks of the season because he played really well in the preseason. Well, David Montgomery – was healthy for them. Yeah, now he's hurt. Right. So but, Herbert, I think he's he was, I believe, listed as the backup behind Damian Williams this week for the Bears. But he's starting to. Uh, yeah. To, he's, last I saw, it was sixteen carries for seventy four yards or something like that. Be, what, yeah, what he wanted? Yeah, something with. like that. Something about, around about there. Man. Yeah. Solid outing. Yeah. Caleb Farley also got some playing time Did yesterday. He? Okay. So, I know he had been hurt. Right. Um. So speaking of Caleb Farley, uh, and I, I wrote this in my article today, Jermaine Waller played, you know, the preliminary PFF grades are out, and Jermaine Waller played uh, played uh, head and shoulders above the rest of the, the tech defense. He graded out at 83 yeah. in the early grades. Yeah. And it was consistent tackling. And, and, and that's that's despite that uh, the deep ball that was completed over him. But that, right. was, that was just like an absolutely perfect, yeah, absolute yeah. perfection. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he he just had a great game and he really stepped up. Yeah, you know, and so he is now uh, he's got four interceptions, which is tied for number one in the country, and with three other guys, and then his interceptions per game, which is point eight, is tied for number one in the country with one other player. So yeah. very he, nice. He's also DB of the week for PFF. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. yeah so two elite interceptions wasted. Yeah. Well, looking at Tech's roster, I think. You look up and down, they're quality players at most positions, but I would say Jermaine Waller is the only game-changing player that Tech has, a guy who is just elite at his position. Uh, uh, as far as elite goes, yeah. Um, so far, yeah. Uh, I mean, I still think I still think in the right offense, Raheem Blackshear is a really good player. I mean, I go back and look at his highlights when he was at Rutgers and see some of the stuff he's doing against your Wisconsin's and your Michigan's and things like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, where is it? Where and, is and, it? and you did see it Saturday night. Exactly. Just keep going. With you it. saw it. Just keep giving it to him. And, and so the other thing about Blackshear is, I mean, he's uh, he's he's well put together. Right. Um, Kashawn King is skinny. Malachi right. Thomas is a freshman. Right. Right. You know, they, they they can't break those tackles that, that that he he was able to bounce off of. Or he's just, they're just it's just not there for him yet. The and dude, the I, dude's hitting his prime, man. Play, play more. him, and uh, and. I get you want to keep everybody happy, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. This I think this entire podcast, but it's not just about Blackshear. It's not just about Kashawn King. It's just it's not just about any individual running back. It's about the other eighty scholarship players too. 
Because now you've got to look Jermaine Waller in the eye. And you got to look Braxton Burmeister in the eye, who played with one arm, played his tail off with one arm, and sit there and say, yeah, well, we might have lost the game because we just wanted to keep these other two running backs happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think about the other 80, 80-some scholarship players, too. So they, they've got to figure that out. And they've made it a bigger mess now by deciding they're not going to redshirt Thomas. But if you if you do pair the rotation down to two now, you, then he then, then he doesn't get carries, block. and right. then you've just you blown his red, red shirt. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to touch on Braxton Burmeister quickly. If he does complete that pass, let's say it's a foot shorter to Trey Turner, right in the basket, he runs at least gets into field goal range. That's <clears> one of the gutsier performances that, from a Tech then, quarterback then, in a long then time. Then it's an iconic historic play, like when Michael Brewer went to the sideline and had his shoulder. Was it Michael Brewer? Keep talking. He had his shoulder pop back in and then came back in and threw, threw the game winning. Well, that sounds like a Michael Brewer thing. It does. Yeah. Oh, that, that yeah, it was UVA 2014. Yeah. Was it? He had his shoulder. That's right. Shoulder popped in, throwing arm. His shoulder popped back into place on the sideline, comes back in and hits Bucky Hodges on a deep ball and then hit him again on a touchdown pass. Right? Yeah. That's basically Braxton Burmeister right, right. in this that game. really cold game in I mean, Lane Stadium. You, I mean, you watch Burmeister after that touchdown run. I was watching him, and he didn't even celebrate. No, he his arm move. was hanging. Right. And then I, I got to PK's <laughs> after the game to eat, and I saw some, some of the highlights on TV, and they showed him walking and sitting down on the bench, and he had his arm like this, and you can tell he was – everything he had to give, he had given. Right. Right as he crossed the goal line on that, a Notre Dame player kind of – kind of half did that oh i guess i can't tackle you and he hit him right there on the yeah, right arm right. you know right in that area where yeah. something's going on you yeah. know and i think he was fine until that little bit of contact right at the right. end and then the arm was just hanging right and uh russian hockey got really good pictures of it with uh th- so one of the interesting things about burmeister is even when he's in pain he's got that blank expression on his face you know, so he's so he's coming off the field and he's in agony, but his face is just, hey, I'm Braxton Burmeister. I'm California cool. Yeah. Well, in a lot of pain, he almost made what would have been probably uh, the play of the season for Virginia uh, Tech. Good news is Justin Fuente did say in his press conference today that he is, should be good to go. They said he's going to practice this what week. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be on the field on Saturday. Right, listen, listen. He will be a body. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear at this point that unless his arm is physically detached from his body, he's Virginia Tech's best option at quarterback. <laughs> so uh, he has to play unless he's, he's, unless he's not willing to play. So, yeah, he's going to start on Saturday. Yeah. How how effective he can be, I don't know. I mean, we've been saying he's hurt. I mean, if it's if it's not clear at this point, I mean, that dude's nowhere close to 100%. And yeah. it affects every part of your game when your throwing arm is hurt like that. Yeah. And I, I think they did him a disservice earlier this year when they brought in Knox Kadem. Um, you know, when, when it was almost like they were saying, Braxton Burmeister, you're not good enough, so we're going to give Knox Kadem a chance. And, and – there's no certainly in hindsight, but to me, even with with foresight, you don't you don't take out Burmeister for for Kadem. and now Kadem is apparently third string, right? So yeah. it's just yeah, K- it's, it's a, it, the situation with Kadem is so bad that when Burmeister is hurt and Blummer gets hurt, you bring Burmeister back in. You bring Burmeister back in. Yeah. Why did so? Why didn't they realize that before? Uh, I, I I could I mean, it, to me, it was painfully obvious, like that. Burmeister's playing hurt. Is he perfect? No. But he's nowhere near his physical capabilities because his throwing arm is, is hurt. And by benching him in the middle of a game like that, it's almost like you're telling everybody that you don't think he's good enough. But you're not admitting that he's hurt. So everybody 
just thinks, oh, he's not good enough and things yeah. like that. So I just – I would have been mad about that if I was Burmeister. Um, I don't know, man. It, it would be interesting to, like, be a fly on, on the wall in, in the locker room to hear what some of these guys would – y'all are in a better mood than I am today. <laughs> um, I'm not happy about that because I just think I see how the rest of this is going to go. I mean, I mean, you've got a running game that doesn't work – and and your best runner is your quarterback, and he's got one arm, and your running back rotation has gotten all out of whack. And I, I will just say, I can't believe the line is pit by four. Are you kidding? Me? It moved up to five. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> it might be <laughs> ten by Saturday. It, it should be. I mean, I who's, mean, who's making that line up? You know, I mean. Yeah, I just I don't see how I really wanted to win the Notre Dame game, and I'm disappointed Tech didn't win it because I thought they should have won it. And if right. I if, if if you could play it over again, I still think they should have won it because I, I said before I don't think they they can beat Pitt. I think that's very unlikely. But now when I see the way Burmeister's holding his arm, I mean I knew it was hurt before, but now it's really now you hurt. really know it's obvious. Yeah, and uh, and everybody else knows it now too. If well, they, they didn't they, know they, it before, they know it now, and. That's they're, they're really struggling as a program to put together a string of good things, either in a season or within a game. Even within a game, you know, yeah. you, you're you're right. You're one yard away from going up by two touchdowns and Lane Stadium losing its mind, right? And you kick a field goal instead, right? You know, and really the last stretch of sustained success that I can remember is the middle of the 2019 season when they won six out of seven, right? Now, since the beginning of the 2018 season, this program's 22 and 20. Right. And that includes a six and one stretch in the middle of 2019. Right. Yes. So they just, they, and this is kind of the theme of my article that will run later today. They do good things. They just don't do enough of them and they don't do them consistently enough. Yeah. I, th- I would say that's an accurate and statement. It's, it's frustrating. And, 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 and so fans are looking and, and I'm really starting to question myself, how is that ever going to change? What are you doing to make that change? Right. And is this, I mean, I don't want to get into this too much, but like I hear more and more. I mean, I heard somebody else after the game, and this could be a, just a an emotional moment after the game, but it's like I'm not renewing my season tickets next year. Right. I'm done. Right. And I've heard several people say that. And when does that go from being just kind of background noise to the – number one issue yeah because money matters because you look at this year and the unc game was sold out and incredible the notre dame game was sold out and incredible so the if you're just an athletic director looking at the numbers the fans are still supporting the program for for the big games but are there going to be any big home games next year uh west virginia miami virginia uh i don't know if well miami it's still the miami game uva yeah um, I don't think there's much but, besides but, that. Right, but we don't even know if like any of those teams are going to be ranked. Like yes. Carolina was top ten. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. You know, heck, Miami might come in here and it's and they're two and two six. and six. Yeah, I mean, who knows with Miami? <laughs> and then win by four touchdowns. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so I, I don't think there's. I don't look at. I don't look at next season's schedule and say, oh, that's going to be a ticket seller. That's right, one so, of those. So games. you got you got Wofford at home, the the fighting Mike Youngs. <laughs> Um, West Virginia, Georgia Tech, Miami, BC, and Virginia. Yeah, that's that's. It's not I mean, an West, inspiring schedule. West BC Virginia's could be nice. Um, top so. twenty-five. Something they, that, they could be, but they're not going to sell tickets. Yeah. Um, there, there's there, there's not going to be anything like you can't even do like 
a mini plan and say, oh, we'll just attach these other two games to the Notre Dame game with a mini plan and, right. and we'll sell more tickets overall with it. Um, so so th- this also, um, yeah, but the, the things we're talking about, they, they do look scary. A, uh, a quarterback who's injured and, you know, you got Pitt coming up and I don't think that's going to go well. Uh, and, and if this, but, but the other thing that I truly believe is that, um, and I need to add this to my article before it runs today. Uh, there's a lot of people that matter at Virginia tech, both at the university, not just the athletic level, but the university level who believe in Justin Fuente. They like Justin Fuente and don't forget. I don't know if we emphasized enough with regards to the reach for excellence campaign, the, uh, the tremendous amount of work and political capital that was expended mm-hmm. to bring the university as a whole together and paying attention and start that $400 million fundraising drive. There's a lot of people at the athletic and university level who committed a lot of time and energy to what they feel is setting the table for a guy that they like, Justin Fuente, to succeed. Mm-hmm. So they are behind him. If they go two and six the rest of or two and one and six the rest of the way, will that change? Will will other people step in and say things? We'll see. The Reach for Excellent campaign, you know, the thing about it is it's going to be matched from a university standpoint. I think they're going to match up to what is it like twelve and a half million? They're going to find funds. Yes, they're up to twelve and a half million a year. But here's the thing: if the fans don't donate then there's not going to be any funds coming in from the university. The university is going to match what they raise from the athletic department, right? I'm not, I, 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 that's what we've been told. I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. There are things that the, for example, things that the university, that the athletic department currently pays for. They're going to take them some expenses. Yes. But as far as the actual money flowing into the athletic department. This is a big deal. Right, yeah. right. So, uh Yeah. We'll leave it at that for now, I think, but I'm very concerned with that. So so all you can do is just sit and wait and watch what happens the next couple of months. Yep. Well, I, I want to tie all of this together. We talked about the quarterback situation and kind of fans starting to lose hope. They're looking for hope, and there's been something circulating. Start Taj Bullock has kind of been what a lot of people are talking about. The scout team I, quarterback? I think <sighs> that is more fans are Look. looking for hope for the future, that, oh, this is our next guy. But uh, he doesn't seem to be I, ready well, for Your that. average fan doesn't understand that that number three quarterback doesn't practice during the week. At right. least not the Hokies he, offense. He, go, he goes to scout team. Well, that's one of uh, Buckner's problems for Notre Dame. It's like at the beginning of the year, he was the third quarterback. How many that's reps was he that's actually good getting? Point. Yeah. You know, he's only gotten reps with the – you know, when you, you you can't split reps in practice between three different quarterbacks. There's just not enough time. Yeah. And, and Fuente said today that Fuente has been working with the scout team. I'm right. pretty sure he said that during the press conference today. And that's where Bullock's right. been. So and, and, Right. Mm. So it would be very difficult to pull him off of that and actually expect results. Yeah. Very, very difficult. You're going to see and a quarterback running the football the, 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 the likely scenario is it doesn't help you. And if even if it did help you, it would be very minimal. And you just burn his red shirt, and you potentially lose fifth-year senior Taj Bullock one year. Just like Virginia Tech lost fifth-year senior Tyrod Taylor. Well, and I think that's where people are trying to compare it to. They're trying to say maybe this is a Sean Glennon-Tyrod Taylor scenario, but Taj Bullock is not nearly the prospect that 
Tyrod Taylor was. Sean Glenn and Tyrod Taylor, they had the number one defense in the country to lean on and a bunch of of NFL receivers who made catches like the one Trey Turner didn't catch the other night, right? Almost identical to the Danny Cole catch in in 2009. Almost identical to the Andre Davis catch for Michael Vick against UVA in 99. Remember where he stretched all the way out? Yeah, Yeah, that's – so there were – that – I – you're grasping at straws at that yes. point. And I think all you do, it doesn't really help you all that much, if at all, and it just does a disservice to the future of Taj Buller. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good time to get towards our break. But first, we're going to throw over to the fourth chair, Nick Brown. I know he's got some stats from the past and looking ahead towards Pitt. Yeah, mainly the biggest thing that came out of last week. I know uh, Tech fans are disappointed about the loss, but Alabama losing, going down to Texas a at the gun is – by far the biggest news of the week in college football. Texas also blowing a 21-point lead to arch nemesis Oklahoma. I feel like they're probably a little more sad than Tech fans at this point with that loss. 40 ranked teams have lost through seven weeks, including week zero. But 40 ranked teams. And everybody's pointing to that 2007 year. It's 2.0. I I talk about the lack of parity, but there is more parity this year. Well. There's Georgia and everybody. I guess there's parity well, after which, Georgia. Yeah, so we were all joking about how it's Alabama, Georgia, and, and the rest yeah. of the world, and suddenly it's that's Georgia. a little different. It's Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> it's Georgia. And I still don't see anybody doing that to Georgia. But, but I, who, but I don't either, but I didn't see it happen in not, Alabama but, not, but now at the same time, we sit here and say Virginia Tech doesn't have much of a chance against Pitt, and I, they don't on paper, man. They absolutely do not on paper have much of a chance but to win this football game. But you have to go game. play the game. But you have to go play the game, and you're seeing this stuff happen in college football every week. And if Tech does pull it out this weekend, then honestly they're in a better position than if they had beaten Notre Dame and lost to Pitt. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, if Tech wins on Saturday against Pitt, every other team would at least have to play two games better than Virginia Tech. To I, win I believe Coastal. everyone in the right. Coastal has two losses. Except for Miami. Miami is just 0-1. Are they? Okay. Just doing one. Just doing one. <laughs> Give them time. They'll Give them this. time. They'll get that second one. Soon. They haven't played Duke yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Derek King also had shoulder ending or season ending yeah. shoulder surgery. Oh, yeah. So he's done so, for the year. So Miami's done. You feel terrible for the kid who tore yeah. his ACL and the bowl game comes mm. back. And wow. Yeah. What happens to him? That's what happens when you play Alabama the first game of the season. You should never <laughs> Don't ever do, that. do it. Don't do it. Jeez. Especially yeah. when you know you have no chance to win. And now put Georgia in that list. Don't right. play Georgia Don't play either. Georgia either. And yeah. now the worst news and stat line is Pittsburgh is 4-0 and over it, coming off of its last four bye weeks in previous Yeah, but we were talking about that before we started recording, and you gave the list of who that was against. Yeah. Now, of course, including for Virginia Tech, that includes a trip to South Bend, heart-wrenching loss there, another heart-wrenching loss to Notre Dame, and then blown out by Clemson last year. They've played Tech last year. They annihilated at Pitt. And then at Georgia Tech, at Syracuse in 2019, and then 2018 Duke. So those aren't like crazy games. It's it's not murder's row. Yeah, not like crazy, crazy games. But, yeah. But nonetheless. It still is what it is. All right, yeah, Pitt four and zero off a of bye. Hokies now O of their last six coming off bye weeks after losing to Notre Dame. So maybe good news that Pitt game is not off a of bye. 
So we we're gonna take a break <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> what it was forty five minutes, and we got our there first we good go. news. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take a break here on episode one ninety eight of Text of the Tech Sideline podcast. When we come back, we're gonna look at a little more positive spin on Saturday's game. Yeah. Look at the good things that the Hokies did against the Fighting Irish, and we'll also maybe take a little bit of a look towards Pitt and get to your YouTube questions at the end. So stay with us here on episode one hundred and ninety eight of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 198 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. As we recap Virginia Tech's loss to Notre Dame on Saturday, we've got our usual crew on set, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Nick Brown in the fourth chair, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm Jake Lyman. We've talked about a lot of the negatives from the game so far, but I want to get into the positives. David Cunningham has now joined us in the room here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, and in his pick on the preview, he talked about kicking a field goal. Yeah. To win the game. He didn't believe that John Parker Romo could do it. Three for three on Saturday with a 52-yard field goal at the end of the first half. Maybe a little silver lining there. It makes me feel better if the <laughs> game comes down to a field goal. Uh, yeah, it's certainly. That, well, that whole, sure. that whole last minute and a half was really impressive from both teams. Notre Dame went 80 yards in nine plays in a minute three, which is impressive. And then Tech gets the ball back uh, with 28 seconds left to go. They throw an incompletion. They got 22 seconds left to go, and they're on their own 20 or something mm-hmm. like that. And then boom, 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 some really nice pitch and catch with Burmeister and Robinson. And and uh, JPR comes out there. Oh, boy, that, that thing would have been good from 60 yards. Yep. You know, maybe maybe more. So I, I missed it. I decided to. Were you uh, in the bathroom? Tw- 28 seconds <laughs> left. I'm going to beat the crowd to the bathroom line and the drink line because there's no way – we're going to actually complete a bunch of passes in the last seconds to go down the field, and no way we're going to kick a long field goal. Statistically, that was very, very unlikely, considering everything we knew about this team coming in. Yeah. So I'm in the I'm in the line waiting to get a beer, and I hear boom, cannon, and I'm like, goes up. What I'm like, the I'm like, hold on, do they normally fire the cannon at halftime? <laughs> <laughs> because surely we didn't score, but yeah, we had scored. But yeah, I, I was nice. in the concourse as well, actually, but I I heard. The cheer from the crowd, and it was like John Parker Romo hit a field goal. I was like, man, I didn't know we got it inside the ten. That was <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh god, that's no longer true though. That's funny, oh. but no longer true. No, he did a great job on Saturday, and it was very possible if Trey Turner does make that catch and doesn't get to the end zone, it would have come down to his foot. I feel like fans in the stands would have been a little more confident considering how yeah, he played on Saturday. Would have felt better. Yeah. yeah. Also, fun nugget on JPR: he is a two-year married man. No kidding. Wow. Actually, I think I knew that. Really? Two years. Two years. I did not know that. We mentioned it uh, during the break. We were talking about it. Kicking in that game was better than yesterday in the uh, Packers-Bengals game. Did you see? (laughs) If you say so, I was. You didn't mm, see it? No, I was mowing the lawn and moving furniture in my basement. The Packers kicker missed three field goals. The Bengals kicker missed two. Pretty much all of them were like potential game winners. They're all fired. All within the final, I want to say, three minutes in overtime. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so over like an 18-minute stretch, basically, of the game. And the Packers finally kicked one and one. So if you're an NFL kicker and you miss a field goal, you get fired, right? A lot of times, yeah. 
<laughs> for, uh, no, I'm sure if it's a big field goal to win the game, yes, they will cut you unless you've been there for like ten years. Well, like Mason yeah. Crosby right. for the oh, Packers, yeah. so he, he missed... won't get cut because he's Mason Crosby and he's played there forever. Yes, okay. He but, missed three game winners but, before finally making but, one. But it's like when you're Joey Sly and you've started for one or two years and then you miss no. a couple like you did. Boom, you're cut. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, the Bengals kicker in that game, he's a rookie, so you would assume you missed two game winning field goals. Oh, you're he's probably cut. done. Yeah. But both of them were so close, and he'd already hit two game winners this year. He That's true. One off the yeah. post, the other. Other one hit the flag uh, on oh, the post as really? he was going. Yeah. By. He was wow. celebrating it. He celebrated it. <laughs> he thought he went in. It was like angels in the outfield that movie, you know. When sometimes you just I'll when the angel comes down and it. moves the foul line, foul <laughs> the foul pole, and it counts as a home run. All of a sudden, that was kind of like those. So how old are you when that movie came out? I saw it in the theaters. Really? I did. You drove yourself there? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I do want to talk about the offense. There were some positives with the offense. A really good touchdown drive to open up the scoring made it 7 nothing. You get down to the one. Obviously, you can't punch it in, but there was some positives for the offense. Started to look a little bit more consistent at times. Except for the disappointing part of the, the running back rotation, I was not disappointed in the offense the other night simply because that's – Notre Dame's got a very good defense. They've, they've played well every game this year. And I picked Tech to score 20. That's what I thought they were, yeah. about what they were going to do. To me, do. here's one of the offensive stats. Notre Dame, if you remember, was one of the best teams in the country at uh, stopping the other team on third down. And they had they had gone something like opponents had only converted like three out of their last 25 yep. third yep. downs. And Tech converted eight of 17. Yep. Unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't convert on the last possession, you know. So you want it to be nine of seventeen, or or down inside the goal line, you want it to be ten of seventeen. Yeah, you know, it's it's we're gonna we're sitting here and criticizing the offense a lot. I'm not necessarily criticizing the offense itself. I'm criticizing the running back rotation again. Right. Let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> but uh, I thought the offense got more out of its ability on Saturday night than I thought the Tech defense got out of its ability. Yeah. Uh, the, the offense made played more to its potential than the defense did, considering the level of opponent they were playing. I mean, the, the Notre Dame offense is terrible, and Tech struggled to stop them. So that's bad from a defensive standpoint. Uh, the other way around, you know, I mean, I, I thought Tech's offense hung in there. I, I, it's weird. I, I think the two best games Tech has played offensively were against the two best defenses they faced. Which would be Notre Dame and, West and WVU. Yeah. yeah, and I know they didn't play well in the red zone against West Virginia, but, like, they got to the red zone. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had better offensive performances against those teams they did against Richmond, right? So so that first possession when Blackshear scored on that really nice run, um, Parker Clements was out in front pushing Par- somebody in Parker the Clements uh, played like 10 or 11 snaps or something. He, he had graded so, out like above a 90. So I was rewatching the game, and exactly, I saw that block, and I was like, oh, let's see how he did. And I go and look it up. I'm like, he had a 90. Whoa, oh, 10 snaps. <laughs> yeah, but, but still, still, still. Considering when they brought him in at the end of the, the Middle Tennessee game. He had a zero grade, didn't he? <laughs> zero, point zero. Point zero pass blocking grades. So I'm like, ooh, maybe he's not quite as far along as they thought he was. But uh, And then he was hurt against West Virginia and didn't play. But they threw him out there the other night, and that was promising. So He, he played that entire possession. Right, right. So, yeah. so that's the type of thing where – now you can see why they they seem to be so high on him when he can yeah. go in there and do that against Notre Dame. So and si- Silas James he played started and played sixty three snaps I think and I did see him uh, down on down around the goal line gimp one time. Yeah, uh, but you know 
63 snaps and good enough to play the whole game. Yeah. Well, the offensive line was whole once again. All five starters were there, and they performed pretty well, at least against what we said was going to be a very tough Notre Dame defense. Uh, 15 sacks coming into that game, I believe. That's true. That's yeah, right. and, well, here's the thing. Sometimes sometimes it looks like an offensive line is playing poorly or it looks like they're playing well or whatever, and it's so much to do with the running backs. Like, amazing, they looked like they were playing pretty well when Raheem Blackshear was carrying the ball, and they didn't look like they were playing so well when the other guys were carrying the ball. It's funny how that works, doesn't it? But, yeah, I thought on the whole they did fine. Uh, I'm going to keep harping on that because, I mean, these are highly paid coaches – and that's just not good decision making. And I've never harped on this staff as much as as, as this before. Yeah. No. If you want to hear more about Chris Coleman's thoughts on the running backs, you have an article on TexasLine.com. Article you? about it. <laughs> but I mean, we keep coming back to it. I mean, you can talk about this game for two hours or three hours or ten hours or whatever. And it's to me, it's one. It's like the most important point of the game. Like how can I mean? Can you imagine like just not giving your best player the ball for almost the entire second half? Well, I remember that it didn't happen so much later in the year with Khalil Herbert, but there were there were times early in the year where they weren't giving Khalil Herbert the ball last year. And eventually that worked itself out, so we'll see what happens here. Well, I want to say in the NC State game, he had over 200 scrimmage yards, but I want to say on like nine touches. Or yeah, well, to be fair, like he had only returned from COVID the day before. That's he true. Probably who are we talking about? Herbert. Herbert, okay. Yeah. So he hadn't been practicing for 10 days, yeah. so he didn't have conditioning. Which probably explains some of the early season lack of touches for him. He didn't so, have a preseason. So I would, I would love to have a conversation with a coach, and Fuente's probably actually old enough to answer this uh, because he started coaching uh, what twenty years ago. Um, he's he's like mid forties or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. There's so much less contact in practice these mm-hmm. days. You may not actually know. Like we expect coaches to know what they have. And maybe they're just not scrimmaging enough to really know. Right. You know, because we grew up playing football. Man, you scrimmaged every day. You sure. just played you day, the ground after every day after day. After day. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you don't do that these days because their dudes are so big these days. And you could even you could go back to in the 90s and you can do that. But, like, because players weren't as big. I mean, 95 Sugar Bowl, like William Yarborough's Virginia Tech starting free safety at 165 pounds. And his nickname's Killer. Killer Yarborough, because he's a big hitter at 165 pounds. And 20 years later, Cam Chancellor's 230 pounds. And, Kyle Hamilton's and, out there. And you just, yeah, when, when you've got dudes like that hitting you, like you're going to have more injuries. It's just the size of the players these days create more injuries, I think. And means you can't practice quite as much because everybody's going to be hurt. And there's CTE concerns also, right. you know, the daily pounding. Yeah. Defensively now, we talked offense, the positives there. Jermaine Waller, we talked about him. He had another great game, another interception, pick six. Amari Barno finally showed back up on the stat sheet. He got himself a sack mm-hmm. after not having one for three straight that was games. A nice play. It was, nice play. and that, that was the first that was one, early. I believe. That was the first one. It was the third play of the game. Yeah. Yep. And that helped out with the crowd, too, which was another electric environment, too. You get a stop uh, on that first I drive. I mean, I thought, you know, getting that sack on the first drive and then another sack later in the first quarter, and they weren't moving the ball at all. And I'm sitting here thinking they are exactly who we thought they were offensively. And we're already up 10 nothing, and, at, at and we're going to win. At one I point, mean, the yardage was 122 to 27. Yeah. And that game was happening. Actually, Tech's offense was doing better than I thought they were doing, but that game yes. was really going Tech's way. Oh, yeah. I mean, at that point, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, we're going to win just like I thought we were. Yeah. I, I don't know if we'll win by double digits, but 
their offense isn't good enough to play against our defense. And then all of a sudden, man, it was just like the floodgates open. And I guess they averaged over 100 yards. Oh, God, I bet they averaged 120, 130 yards per quarter from for the last three They wound quarters. up over 400 yards, yeah, 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 after getting 26 or 27 yards, depending upon where you look at and, the stats. And, and, and you know, you, you can point to changing quarterbacks gave them a spark. It certainly did in the running game. But at the same time, Buckner wasn't going to lead him down the field to win the game at the end because he's not a good enough passer. And he gets hurt right. a non-contact injury. Now, I don't know. Did anybody ask Brian Kelly after the game if he was going to bring back Cone anyway? You know, I'm not I sure. I don't know the answer to that, but but Buckner hurts himself on a rut in the field, and here comes Cone. And yeah, you're right. Buckner was not going to win that game. For R- random events. Yeah. Well, Buckner ran into a few nice throws. We mentioned the deep one that he hit, but it was in the running game. Tech seemed to have a lot of trouble trying to find him. Dax Hollyfield, I think, missed a few plays here and there. As well. So this is the preliminary PFF grade for Dax is horrendous. It's like by far his worst game of the year and the preliminary grade's not going to change that much when they do the final grade um so yeah he was i dropped my other sheet of paper but it wasn't just the quarterback um you know kyron williams was averaging 3.8 yards per carry and he had a good game so uh he's the stiff arm master yeah yeah so I don't know. Tech just should have done better defensively, in my opinion. But we're supposed to be talking about good stuff. We are. We are. (laughs) So this is not going to be a good place to go next. Uh, I want to talk about targeting. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Back-to-back drives, I believe. There was a targeting penalty on Notre Dame on offense, which – that was a crackback. It was a crackback block. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a crack. It was a double whammy to a certain extent. It was also the old Georgia Tech clipping. One, one, he hit him high, and one player engaged him low, while the other player engaged him high, with not only engaged him high, but also engaged him high with the crown of his helmet. Uh, so, that, <laughs> yeah. Paul Johnson would have been proud of that one, buddy. Somewhere, Paul Johnson is <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Paul probably wasn't even watching, but he probably suddenly got a warm feeling. <laughs> that wasn't called clipping. What's that called? Uh, uh, when they when they do that, when they hit him high and low. Whatever, you know what I'm talking uh, about. We'll come up with it later. Whatever it is, that was that was called targeting on Chop Notre Dame. Block. Chop, Chop block. block. Yes. There you go. Uh, and for Virginia Tech, Dax Hollyfield gets called for targeting. We talked about it a little bit in stadium. It didn't quite look like targeting, but when you look back, I think it probably I, I was. Honestly, have not looked at a replay, but I trust my friend who works at Tech and who's around televisions during the game. And he said, "I would definitely targeting, hit him with the crown of the helmet." In the stadium, it didn't look like it was. Yeah, if, if you all. if you only watched the game on television, which is unlikely since it was on the ACC network, but if you only watched it on television, you're like, "Oh yeah, that was targeting." But I'm telling you, in the stadium, it did not did look not like look. Targeting. I mean, even on the replay they showed, the the one replay they showed. Now they they don't show most of the replays they show on TV on the video screen in Lane Stadium. Right. So yeah, you don't see the same. You've thing. actually got a better idea of what's happening in games if you're watching on television at home than if you are in the stadium. But is that like the fastest review you've ever seen? What, yes. what, yeah, yeah. That was, was extremely fast. They came back like 45 seconds later said he's out. Yeah. Now, now Fuente's point about how there should be a flagrant one or a flagrant two, and he's probably right, but you know what? We'd end up arguing about those two. We would, but and at this point I'm not sure you'd see many flagrant ones which would be out-and-out out targeting because the vast majority of targeting calls these days are just incidental types. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, now, the thing about targeting, right, right now they're all the same. If it's the crown of the helmet, you're, you're out, yeah. right? Um, and that is – they don't leave it up to the officials to interpret intent. 
right? right. Um, now, if you do flagrant one and flagrant two, wouldn't wouldn't that be it? Basically, be leaving it in the hands of the officials to interpret intent. It would be a judgment call at that point. Correct. And officials don't like that. Stuff. Don't they hate they, that? They, yeah. yeah. It would be. It would make it a very gray area to try and decide yeah. who was trying to hurt and who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Yeah. I think the ones that they they need to find a way to get rid of is when whether it's a quarterback or whoever's running the ball kind of ducks and. Right. It ends up being helmet to helmet, even when the defender was trying to avoid that. Didn't contact. initiate it himself. Those yeah. are the really tough ones to call. Yeah. Uh, so now Virginia Tech has a decision to make whether it's going to be Dean Ferguson or Kashawn Artis at Mike. Kashawn Artis has always played Mike in the past until this year, and you know they brought in Dean Ferguson. I think he played twenty snaps. Twenty. Yeah, didn't 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 play he great. Didn't they, 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 well. they went out. They went after deep down the middle yeah. over him, like the second play after Dax right got, got, got yep. knocked out. Um, Still a very, very young player who I, I like. And he hesitated um, a little bit, and that created yeah. the, the opening, and boom. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see what they decide there. I expect they'll work both of those guys this week and and, and see what uh, whichever guy performs the best, they'll go ahead and start. Who was it? That, was it Rico Kearney that had, eight, had 18 tackles filling in one time for, I think, uh, Dax? I was for, filling in for Rayshard Ashby. He had 18 tackles in the 2018 Boston College game. Yeah. And I think he had to start the next week against Pitt, too, and, and had some tackles there. Uh, and then he felt like he wasn't getting enough playing time, so he transferred. Went to UCF. Before. Yeah. And, get, and like, he didn't even get a scholarship offer to UCF. He had to walk on for a year and didn't earn a scholarship and then didn't end up anywhere else. Yeah. So he could have stayed here on scholarship and at least played special teams the rest of his career. Sometimes these guys need to get better, better <laughs> advice for the transfer portal, oh, man. man. Yeah. Well, it was a great environment again in Lane Stadium against Notre Dame. Looking at the the schedule coming up, Pitt is a huge game, but it just doesn't I, feel like we're going to get back to I, where I, that it's was. It's not. You know, I mean, I, and I know – I don't think you can look at your average fan and say Pitt's a, Pitt's a better team than Notre Dame and they're going to be like, oh, I agree. They just, they're not going to care about Pitt as much as they do Notre Dame just because of... Well, one of the comments in last week's YouTube chat, well, not chat, but it, one of the comments after the video was posted, so I don't agree with you about Pitt being better than Notre Dame. Well, I mean, why? Like, not, not to belittle that person. Right, we're not belittling that person because there's a lot of other people who feel, who feel that way too. So my response to that is why? Like, what's, is there any evidence you can point to statistically or otherwise that... that show that Notre Dame's a better football team than Pitt. I mean, I certainly can't find any. I mean, to me, when you've got – even if everything else was equal, uh, and I, Notre Dame's defense is better than Pitt's. I agree with that. Hmm. But, 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 but Kenny Pickett's is just so far ahead of anything Notre Dame puts on the field at quarterback. Yeah. So I, I, I felt good about Tech's defense this year, and they didn't play well defensively against Notre Dame considering who they were facing. If that's Kenny Pickett at quarterback for Notre Dame this past week, then that game – then Notre Dame would have put up five or six hundred yards, not four hundred. Um, At the very least, it feels like a much worse matchup against Pitt yes. than it did against Notre yeah. Dame on paper. Now, should be easier offensively on paper, but Tech's best two offensive outputs have come against their the two best defenses they faced. Really, in my in my opinion, I mean they struggled against North Carolina, struggled against Richmond. Um, I just think in terms of quality of competition, the best two offensive games they've faced have, have come against those two good defensive teams. Uh, and quite frankly, like, I don't, I don't know what to expect. Like, is Burmeister playing? I know Fuente says he's going to. And like I said earlier, like, if he's physically capable of playing, 
Like he's so much better than any other tech quarterback. Like unless unless he can't raise his arm at all, he has to be out there. Yeah. But how effective is he going to be? Really. And so, if if you get into a shootout with Pitt, it doesn't feel like a less than hundred percent Braxton Burmeister is going to outduel. You, you Kenny can't. Pickett. Yeah, you can't expect that at all. So. Um, I expect, you know, you'll just try to find a way in the game plan to shorten the game as much as you can. Which is what they've been doing all year. Especially yeah. against, like, North Carolina, who can score a whole lot. Yeah. You know, this might be the North Carolina game plan all over again. Well, and it is a huge game against Pitt. We were talking about the coastal standings. Everybody outside of Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Miami has two losses in the coastal. Or more. Or more, Yes. Miami already has one loss. Tech and Pitt are the only undefeated teams left in the Coastal in ACC play. So the winner of this game will, in order to lose the Coastal, the winner of this game would have to be outplayed by the other by two games two the games. rest of the way, which right. It, right. that's a tough task for any team. Yeah, that would be a tough task for, for and, any and team. And Pitt, as good as they are, can be kind of maddening, maddening, maddeningly inconsistent. They can. I mean, they, they beat... So, t- it's, so it's hard for them to make up a two-game deficit. Yes. They, they beat Tennessee on the road... And lost to Western Michigan. Lost at home. to Western Michigan at home in two back-to-back weeks, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, the, they don't just from looking at their points allowed and points scored, they score a ton of points. But they're number def- one in the nation, right? Yes. But 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 deep. But you know, defensively, they're not. They're not a normal Pat Narduzzi defensive team this we year. Is what it seems for like. Wednesday. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> do, we, we'll, we do. We'll have a full pit preview on Wednesday. But for for instance, Tech beats Pitt. A four and two record the rest of the way. The rest of the way would mean Pittsburgh would have to go six and zero. Oh. So yeah. a very important game coming up in Lane Stadium on Saturday between Tech and three thirty on ESPN two. It was announced yesterday. It is on ESPN two. Yes, Which and then have a nice tailgate. Yeah, get it in while well, you can. Well, I'm looking at the weather forecast: showers in the morning and then partly cloudy in the afternoon. That's fine. So maybe it'll quit raining by noon and you can go out there and what's the, what's the temperature? Be? High of seventy. Oh, so. that's perfect. Who cares if it rains? Yeah. yeah, and then. Announced earlier today, Syracuse game, 12.30 on That's RSN. why I say get your quality tailgating in this week because you might not have that opportunity. The last two home games are Syracuse and Duke, right? Yes. right. You yeah. would assume neither Duke, of those Duke are getting be played lunar. before 12.30. Right. Yeah. Or after, after 12.30. 12.30. Well, I think now is a good time to talk to the YouTube chat. We'll send it over to Nick Brown. Any good questions in there? Yeah, first one by Jacob Yates. Chris, where did you get that sweet VPI hat? I got it at Alumni <laughs> Hall. And okay. Blacksburg, which is in the first and main shopping center. I was there on Friday, and there is every color imaginable I'm, in that hat. I'm so. very, very picky when it comes to hats. So, like, I'll go like two years without buying a new hat because I just don't like anything I see in those two years. Really? Wow. I finally bought a few recently because I thought they had some really good ones in there. It's funny, I saw somebody wearing this exact same hat. And lot two the other day, and was like, "Hey man, nice hat." And then he recognized me. He's like, "Oh man, love your podcast." <laughs> <laughs> Does the defense giving up that many points in a name affect badly on our defense or positively on their offense? I think it. I think it reflects. You know, and I don't want want this to sound this this way, but that that's the fault of the tech defense. I think um, I'm very concerned about the lack of playmaking in the mm-hmm. backfield lack of sacks lack of tackles for loss they they did a they did a great job against North Carolina with six sacks and nine total tackles for loss and the production behind the the line of scrimmage has just gradually dropped throughout the season right so and you went into that season that game knowing that that Carolina was 
not particularly good in pass blocking, and they'll give up a lot of negative plays. You knew that about Notre Dame going into this game. Now, the biggest difference is I think Notre Dame's a better coach football team than North Carolina. I think they're very well coached. They're I don't, I don't well think they get enough credit. They, they, I think uh, Brian Kelly's a great coach, and he's yeah. got a really good staff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you've been mentioning that Virginia Tech, two best offensive performances, West Virginia and Notre Dame, two In my good defenses. Yeah. It's just it's been bad luck that the two worst defensive performances have probably been in those two games too. That's probably true to a certain extent too. Uh, maybe not too surprising against West Virginia, although they've struggled offensively ever since then. Um, Tech's defense has obviously improved. No question yep. they've improved, but they're not dominant. Yep. Not not a single tackle for loss in the running game. In the running the game, game. Yeah. yeah. Against a team that gives up a lot of tackles for loss. Which means that every run, you kind of, you, you saw the line of scrimmage moving in the wrong direction, particularly later in the game. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's how you win a field position battle with Notre Dame is, is you get them in second and 12s and things like that because you hit them for a two-yard loss on the running play. And, that, yeah. and that's how you win the game. And that's what I, what I talked about in the preview last yeah. week. Uh, but but you have to make those plays defensively, and Tech didn't. Yeah. And we talked about it. Bottom five in the country in sacks allowed and yards per carry heading into that game for Notre Dame, and it just didn't. And they had a solid didn't game seem to offensively. Matter. Yeah. All right, we know Kenny Pickett is pretty darn good. Is Pitt's offense that legit, or is it just a reflection on the defenses that they've played? They've played UMass, mm-hmm. who, by the way, stormed the field after beating UConn in the win? battle for yeah. the worst teams in the country, and then at Pitt, uh, at Tennessee, lost to Western Michigan, New Hampshire, who's not, yeah. not a good didn't FCS they, didn't school. Didn't they score 77 against yes. New Hampshire? And yeah. then Georgia Tech, who is insanely inconsistent right and they scored 42 in the first half against georgia tech i think tech will do better than Than probably anybody has done against pitt so far but i don't think it's going to be enough yeah well yeah pickett uh pickett's played 44 games he's been there since 2017 and he is he's number two in the country in passing efficiency in fbs and he's if you look at the pff grades he's the number two graded quarterback in the passing game. Mm, this is what happens when you keep a quarterback for his career and develop him. For longer than his career. It's his fifth year. Yeah. Because he's a super senior. All right. Do we have one more good one in there? Uh, yeah. All right. Let's do one more. Was our inability to get a defense to stop in the fourth quarter due more to scheme or personnel struggles? Uh, I don't – I'm not an X's and O's guy. And I watch the game as a fan like everybody else. Uh, I mean, I just, just don't think we played well enough. But, I mean, Brandon Patterson's going to have an, an article review in the game who can probably answer that question better. I, I would maybe, say maybe the D-line was not it. disruptive enough. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly That would have helped case. a lot. It helps every yeah. offense to be in short yardage situ- or shorter yardage situations. And Notre Dame was in a lot of long yardage situations through their first four or five games or whatever it was of the season. But they were not. The, the they, were, they were getting three and four and five yeah, yards yeah, on first see, down. Right. It seems like they never had to go longer than four yards to get a first down or, mm-hmm. so, or something like that um, for, on a third down situation. I could be wrong on that. But I think I think they just – and I'm sure some of that – I think Notre Dame just – they knew they needed to start playing better, and, and they did it. But, uh, you know, I think Tech could and, could and should have played better. That game kind of felt like the 2019 Notre Dame game where Tech pretty much outplayed – Notre Dame the entire way got a defensive touchdown, some quarterback struggles, and then just the defense just could not stand up at the end. Yeah, well, you know, it was more understandable then because you had had Waller. Well, Dax was ejected for targeting, so you can compare 
Like Waller was ejected for targeting in 2019. So, but then also on that last drive, Caleb Farley got hurt. Yes, and both of Tech's backup cornerbacks were were in the game uh, at, at that point. And uh, you know, even Chapman had been banged up a little bit and had come back into the game. So you know, and one of your two cornerbacks in there was, was even still a little bit hurt. So it's a little bit different. Um, I think Tech's defense played better in the 2019. They shut down the run. Like for Notre Dame, yeah. that that game, and they didn't shut down the run the other the other day, and that's 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 a disappointing thing because Notre Dame hadn't been able to run the ball on anybody this year. So we we were talking about Notre Dame having success on early downs, and uh, they had uh, four third downs of three yards or fewer, mm-hmm. five third downs of four to seven yards, okay. and only three third downs where they faced eight or more right. yards. Only three right. the whole game, right? No. So yeah, a lot of shorter yardage situations, and it's just so much easier to convert those than it is when you lost two yards on your first down running play, yeah. and then your second and twelve, you got a lot of ground to make up. So, so Tech limited Notre Dame to three of twelve on third down, but the problem in in those last two possessions, Notre Dame only faced one third down, right? And that was the run right before the field goal. Yep, Notre Dame stayed on script pretty much the entire game. weren't put in too many tough situations, especially on those last two drives where. They put up 11 unanswered to win the game. Boom, boom, boom. Well, we want to thank all of you for your YouTube questions. Some good ones over there. Thank you, Nick, for giving those to us. Before we get out of here, Chris, what's coming up over the next couple days on TechSideline.com? I've still got to go over and fill out my day planner for the week. I (laughs) I haven't been in the office all day. Um, Normal content week. Uh, Brandon Patterson will review the game. Uh, Will will have his Monday thoughts later today. And then, you know, Wednesday we'll get into Pitt. David will have some articles. Bonus basketball coverage this week, right, David? Yeah, David's going to Charlotte tomorrow. Right, so uh, men's and women's basketball stuff. So a little more content this this week than normal. Yep. And we are right about four weeks away from tip-off of the men's basketball November season. November 9th? Is that November right? 9th. So, yeah, uh, four weeks from tomorrow. So getting closer to crossover season. It'll be fun. Um, Well, that's going to do it for episode 198 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be back Wednesday afternoon, I believe, with a full pit preview. Uh, So looking forward to that. And Chris will obviously have his full pit preview out Wednesday as well. So getting ready for that huge showdown for the lead in the ACC Coastal on Saturday from Lane Stadium. want to thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, at WillStewartTSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He is at ChrisColemanTSL on Twitter. Nick Brown did another great job in our fourth chair today with the YouTube questions and his stats at the midway point. And as always, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes doing a phenomenal job. I'm Jake Lyman saying so long from Tech Sideline, and we will see you on Wednesday with a full pit preview.